Hi there, welcome back to the business side of fitness. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, we'll highlight fitness industry experts to learn about their personal journey and unique perspective. Through these conversations, we'll learn all about what it really takes to succeed in fitness. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Severiano LLC, specializing in fitness and wellness business development for impactful brands. The time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story, and now it's time to hear from this week's guest. Let's welcome to the show Nathaniel Jewell. He's a seasoned entrepreneur at the intersection of technology and fitness and founder of Recess.tv, a first-in-category solution that promotes wellness while empowering instructors to bring their businesses online with technology built for virtual engagement. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Vanessa. Happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. First of all, (laughs) you have such an interesting background and I just would love for, I I always am curious as to like how people ended up in the fitness industry because nine times out of 10, they didn't set out to be in the fitness industry. If you could just share your background in tech and the journey that led you to ultimately founding recess.tv, that would be a great way to start. Yeah, I definitely didn't start my career out thinking I would end up in fitness, but fitness has always been, I'd say, an integral part of my lifestyle. Uh, So it's uh, not surprising to me that I ended up here. So I started a big company and everything. And then on the tech side, I moved out to the Bay Area in April of 2014 and started working at Apple. Did that for about three years. And Apple had amazing fitness facilities. Every building has like a high-end Equinox level gym. And when I went to the startup world in 2017, I, we were working office parks and there just weren't a lot of gyms on site. And it was during a couple startups where I'm like, why hasn't someone figured out how to bring fitness to startups and office parks? So my fitness journey started in my first business, which was called Drift, which was a mobile high intensity fitness studio. And we launched that in August of 2019. And then obviously COVID happened. So everything shut down. And over the summer last year, we pivoted to what is now Recess. Uh, so fitness has always been a huge passion of mine. And I just, uh, through a course of events, discovered the ability to dive into fitness and I'm definitely here for the rest of my life. I love it. And so what was some of the ideology behind the concept for drift? It was actually like a rig that you'd pull up to the office building and people would work out there or how did that work? Yeah, so it, exactly. So we uh, built this custom 60 foot long trailer, if you will, for lack of a better word, from the ground up. And when it opened up, it was a 40 person high intensity studio. Think much like a Barry's boot camp with two sides of the room with strength training and cardio. We had water rowers as our cardio. And on the weekends, we opened up in San Francisco overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge, breathtaking views. No one could you know, compete with that. And then during the week, we'd go to an office park and same thing. We'd open up be there for the day, be there for the week, letting office workers come out. So it was a high-end, high-intensity workout that came to you, essentially. And what were some of the things that you learned from leadership positions at Apple and at Deloitte that you now are applying to your business at Recess? Is there anything that you're applying? I'm sure there is. (laughs) There's probably a million things I'm applying that I don't even think about. What, What I would say from my background is I was, I started at GE and then went to Deloitte and they have two of the best training programs in the world. They've been doing it for a really long time. And you're always going through leadership and management training to the point where it's like, 
you're learning things that are probably just second nature, like breathing that you don't, I think, realize. So I had a huge opportunity to do that. So I was lucky for that. And then Apple is moving up and then other startups and stuff. It's, I think, number one, which I think people always say it's about managing people and supporting people on the team, communicating. It's amazing how much you learn to communicate, I think, over your career, but you still can mess it up and make mistakes on it. But just communicating with the team, supporting the team, hearing the team, it's to me, it really all comes down to the people inside the company. But that, with what we're doing at Recess too, that also comes down to outside the company too, like all these instructors, they aren't, they don't work for recess. They're an integral part of the business. So it's just, how do you hear people listen to them and and help them go along their career journeys and what they're trying to do? You just dropped so many little nuggets. I think, (laughs) yes, leadership and communication skills are really undervalued by many industries. And I love that sometimes people knock big companies because of, for example, I worked at Equinox and a lot of people are like, oh, Equinox is so uh, corporate. But one of the things that these big companies provide as an advantage is tremendous training. And those are things that I think a lot of startup companies just shortcut. They're like, oh, let's just go to the product, just put a salesperson in there, just put a marketing and a product person in there. And there's no actual training. And yes, I think learning something once is great, but ongoing training to bring that idea or concept to the forefront of your mind. It's like, I've read how to win friends and influence people every year because it's Mm. such a long book. There's so much information. And over time, it just goes to the back of my mind. And when I read it again, it's a refresher and I pick up different things every time because you need that ongoing training. So I love that you were able to take that and apply that to your business now. Can you explain a little bit Bit about how recess works for those people that are not familiar with it? Sure. So I, I'll use an analogy or maybe a, a merger of analogies. So I like to say recess is Airbnb meets Twitch. Uh, so it's meant to be a fitness marketplace. We're very instructor focused and instructor first. So in building recess, it was about how do we help instructors uh, initially bring their businesses online or come online or switch over from Zoom and all these other tools to a one-stop vertically integrated solution. So we really lean on the creator and the instructors. What do they need to succeed? And then at the same time, while they're delivering fitness, be it live classes or on demand or, or private sessions, whatever it is, how do then the consumers also have a great experience? So it's kind of, I think, the Airbnb analogy from the marketplace perspective and then Twitch from a live creative focus perspective. So everything, I mean, every day we wake up, we're like, all right, what do the instructors need today to do better? And then what do they need tomorrow to do better? We'll custom build features for instructor. We'll help them like draft marketing messages, like literally whatever they need right now, we'll do just to try to help them be successful. But we're learning through that so that we can make better tools and automate things and help them down the road. It's a fluid process. It's not like you come up with this business concept and then it's locked in for the end of time and there's no iterations on it. It's you're constantly learning how to improve. And when you mentioned Twitch, I'm not a gamer, but... (laughs) clearly, (laughs) but I have two teenage sons and they're always talking about Twitch. And I know that Twitch is really popular and a lot of businesses are introducing the gamification of things into their business models to get people to be continuously engaged. And I think when people think of another app or another streaming device, they roll their eyes and they're like, oh, another one. So how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace? How do you get in front of those instructors and in front of consumers and get their attention when there are so many different offerings in the marketplace right now? Yeah, there are a lot. I would say what was 
hugely beneficial to what we're doing is when COVID first started, you know, about March last year is every instructor went and did Zoom or some version of Zoom and then figuring out the Venmo and whatever they were trying to do. So everyone got used to streaming in that sense, like live two-way streaming. So that was helpful. And as we're talking to instructors, okay, you were doing this way with five different apps or 10 different apps and all these manual processes. Wouldn't it be great if just all that was seamless and in one place? And then on top of that, what if the video tech was better and different made for fitness uh, versus Zoom? So in talking to them, it's a pretty easy, I think, process. We're like, hey, we put it all in one place. It's actually made for fitness, unlike everything else you were doing. And then, oh, by the way, on top of it, it's 100% free for instructors. And that last piece is definitely like the last hook that I think brings them in. They're like, wait a minute, I don't have to pay any fees. You're not taking in my revenue. I'm not paying for a SaaS application. And you have everything I want. And you'll listen to me if I need a new feature. Okay, when can I start using it? So we have really high adoption and, and really high retention on the instructor side as a result. I think a revenue share is a really smart business model when approaching instructors, especially since so, so many of them did have a, a challenge monetizing themselves. It's hard to get somebody to commit to an upfront cost when mm -hmm. they might not necessarily understand how the business works. And so when you say upgraded video, what does that mean? Like, how is that better than just filming on an iPhone or what else is out there? So we do use two-way video, like, you know, Zoom, Google Meet, everything else, because instructors and, and clients definitely the engagement they get from seeing each other. And there's a lot of, I think, energy from that. But then on top of it, it's a bunch of little things that add up to a big thing. So the instructor can use workout cards that, that appear in the room. They can create those ahead of time. They can use a timer. They can make those be synced or async, depending on how they're running their workout. From a consumer perspective, you can adjust the volume of the music separately from the instructor's voice. So you can control like exactly how you want to hear the class. Obviously, all different types of view options, which are pretty standard. And then the most engaging and fun piece of it, I think that people are a little bit surprised within love it when they get in there is we have these emojis at the bottom of the screen, like a fist bump or a fire emoji. And the instructor can hit them, the client can hit them when they're doing it, but the way it works is the whole screen explodes like iMessage Echo. So it creates this really like engaging in the moment, like, oh wow, it's a fire emoji. I'm gonna go hard right now because the instructor wants me to go hard. But besides them yelling, you're getting this effect on the screen. So that's another way. So just all these kind of little enhancements that say, hey, if you're doing a two-way live fitness class, what are all the tools and engagement features you might want? And we try to build those in. That's funny because I've been in classes where it's like a hit workout. And when you're going all out, the instructor changes the lighting. They dim down the lighting and they're like, go, they turn on the fans. They're, there's some kind of indicator to the clients and the participants in uh, the participants in their mind that something this is a signal to really go all out so the emoji thing while at first it might be like why would you do that it really <laughs> makes sense because it's taking that in real life experience and applying it to the digital world so do you have specific standards or requirements for instructors if they're looking to get on your platform or can anybody join so we right now, I'd still say in some sense on the instructor side, we're in beta. Any consumer can start taking a class today. So we do have a, a wait list for instructors to fill out and, and use the platform. The reason for that is every single instructor gets a one-on-one -on -one onboarding experience. We really want them to be successful. So we talk to them, trying to figure out their needs. Then we onboard them. We go through setting up their schedule and their profile, and then we'll even do a tech dry run. And then we're there to help them. So because of that, we definitely just take our time onboarding. And then we want instructors to be successful. And I think right now in the early days to be successful, it's have you been doing group fitness? 
have you been doing virtual fitness? Are you comfortable with it? Because uh, we don't spend any money today on consumer acquisition. So it's the instructor bringing their clients. Um, when we start doing more of that, then I think we'll open up that, that funnel so that any instructor can just start using it right away. But today it's just making sure that the instructor is super successful when they start using the platform. And that makes so much sense because I really strongly believe in setting people up for success. And unfortunately, sometimes we know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes for some of these instructors, it's they, I just saw in the beginning of COVID so many great fitness offerings live and so many terrible ones with horrendous backdrop. The lighting was horrible. The audio was terrible. The angle of the camera. It's like, I'm not trying to look at your chin. I need to see your full body if you're completely cut off for a, for a demo. So I guess from a business perspective, it must be challenging for you to actually do quality control because then consumers are going on. So how do you control that quality? Yeah. So I guess two ways and almost three ways. The first one is during the onboarding, we do that tech drive run. We go through like, what's your background? No, you shouldn't have that behind you. Let me hear your audio and your music. Let's just like, where are you filming it? Some instructors will film in multiple locations. So we're like, hey, let's do a tech dry run in every location. Is the Wi-Fi good? So we can do that as a baseline. And then we all take the classes, of course. So we will take every single instructor over a course of six weeks on the platform and just checking in like, how's it going? Has anything changed? Sometimes they move. Sometimes they're on vacation for a few weeks of still teaching classes and we notice something. So then we'll reach out to them. And then at the end of every single class, both the instructor and the client can rate the experience. Um, and if they rate it, let's say something isn't going well, they can also put it as an audio issue or a video issue and same thing on the instructor. So we get a lot of feedback that way of something not working. And of course we have all kinds of automated reporting and then we're always reaching out we're like, Hey, you rated this, like you had an issue. What was it? And they're like, Oh, my Wi-Fi was cutting out, but it wasn't necessarily something with the platform, but we're always trying to figure it out so we can improve it. So I'd say there's lots of both outreach manual kind of quality controls, as well as just tons of tooling we have just to monitor the experiences. So if your acquisition strategy is primarily focused on the creators and not on the actual consumers, how do you get in front of those creators? How do you acquire them? What's the strategy there? Thankfully, having done a drift pre-recess uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a very small fit. The whole fitness community is small, like in the whole country at the end of the day, it really is tiny. It's amazing. But in San Francisco, it's really small. So we knew a lot of instructors. So that's kind of how we started, which is getting a lot of them on board. And then they all referred people. So I'd say over 60% of the instructors using the platform are referred. So everyone who starts using it ends up referring two or three friends to come on board. We do some Instagram, Facebook advertising towards instructors, just brand awareness and stuff. So we get some through that uh, mechanism and then just organic search. People will, will find us and, and come in that way. But referrals is, is definitely a big one. And we ask every instructor too, who's someone else we know that you think should start using it. And it, it works really well that way. So my background is in sales and marketing. So obviously I love hearing you talk about referrals. And now that leads me to my next question, which is what is your referral strategy? Because I've heard both, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. Some people say somebody has to be incentivized to give a referral. And then I hear people say they shouldn't be incentivized, but they should be rewarded after the case. So I'm just curious as to hear your referral strategy. I think with anything in business, there's no right answer. Uh, so when we started doing the, so we also have a client referral strategy too, and they're very similar. We looked at a lot of 
ways people have done referrals. And we leverage a lot of what the newsletter industry uh, does for whatever reason, because we saw a lot of success, like the Morning Brew, which I think has done an amazing job. So an instructor refers another instructor. They get a couple of things. There are these kind of swag progression systems that they get. So they'll get shirts and AirPods eventually if they refer enough people. And they do get a few dollars every time they refer somebody. So there's a small monetary, but I wouldn't really call it an incentive because if they don't want to refer someone, they're not going to. It's not like they're getting a thousand dollars for referral. So it's not like they're just going to refer to get the money, um, but it's more like a, Hey, thanks a lot. We want to reward you for doing that. We appreciate it. And kind of same thing on the client side, they refer friends, they earn through the swag progression program as well as they also get some free tokens in the system to keep using and everything. So there's so many conversations happening right now about in real life and the digital experience and everybody has their opinion. Some people, <laughs> it's a very polarizing topic. Some people are like based on the business that you're in. Some people feel very strongly that it's all about digital and in real life, it's just never going to be the same and vice versa. So I'm just curious, do you ever see yourself in the future blending the two businesses bringing back drift and having some in real life experiences in conjunction with recess. I, I think TBD, what I'll say to that is it's not one size fits all for in real life or, or digital. It's definitely hybrid. So I do think recess in some form or another is going to operate in a hybrid model um, because instructors operate in a hybrid model. So everything we do is about the instructor and how do we empower the instructor? So there will be some instructors who go back 100% in real life. There'll be some who say digital 100%. And there'll be a big chunk, I think, that are in the middle and they do a hybrid. So how do we support them in that hybrid environment? Are they going back and teaching at an Equinox or are they doing their own thing and renting out space? You know, so there's, I think a lot of options. So how we actually navigate that and provide the solutions for the instructors, that's what it comes down to is like, what are the instructors doing and how do we support them? Definitely lots of thoughts and, and stuff in the roadmap and on the horizon for it. But I would say we will operate in a hybrid capacity, just CBD on exactly how that comes to life. And I think we're all figuring it out as yeah. we go, right? There's no crystal ball. There's no magic recipe for success. It's all kind of trial and error. And especially since you have to leverage your community and understand what your clients that are using the platform, what do they want? Because it doesn't matter what everybody else wants. It matters the people that you're servicing, what their wants and needs are. And I love that you're really building your business, focusing on instructors and creators, because I think for a long time, they were just an afterthought, almost as treated as if they were a commodity, as opposed to something really special. But a lot of these fitness businesses are really built on the backs of these instructors because people do business with people and the instructors are on the front line. They are, I think... I've seen it many times before when an, a top rated instructor leaves, pe some people leave with them. And I've heard so many conversations recently on, I've gotten into this whole clubhouse thing and I've been on all the, in all these rooms where they're really focused on the content creator economy. And there's all these conversations about NFTs and what impact NFTs will have on all kinds of creators, including fitness instructors. And I was just curious as to if you have had any thoughts on that. On which part? The NFT part or... <laughs> NFT, yeah, it's been it's interesting following social uh, investing and social ideas because it, it seems each month there's a new hot topic from GameStop to to NFTs. I think NFTs are, are super interesting. I think it's gonna the technology is gonna evolve. Uh, I think incredibly. I think one of the big things is 
back in the day with when streaming music went online, DRM rights. So how do you actually verify the rights that someone owns that? And then what can be owned? From the instructor side of, of it, I, I think there is a lot of potential because they can record content potentially and put it out there. They can own their image and themselves more. The tools are early going and there's a lot of growth for it, but just like anything, I think how to, if there's a tool that can help instructors own their brand and own their identity and own their content more, then that's a win for instructors. If it ends up being NFTs or something else, I'd be curious to see how that, that evolves. It's something that I'm really trying to wrap my head around because it's foreign and it's somewhat new. And so there's another thing that people are just talking about and focusing on, but who knows where that's going to go. But in the interim, when you're having these conversations with creators and, and bringing them onto your platform, onto Recess, are you finding that people are locked into non-competes? Because that has been a problem in the fitness industry. A lot of these brands, because of what we discussed earlier, they have this fear. It's like this weird shift in, in power and balancing everything. They have this fear that people, are instructors in particular, are going to leave the company and that clients are going to leave with them. And so they lock these instructors into these non-competes, which if they're fair or not fair, that's not for me to say, because I don't know the terms of every single one and they're all different, but is that a problem that you're finding when you're acquiring creators? It's not a problem we're finding. I definitely have lots of thoughts on, on non-competes for another time, but it's it's not a problem we're finding because a lot of the non-competes tend to be, let's say you're, you work at a hit studio, I'm not going to use names. So you, use, you work at a hit studio, you can't teach at another hit studio, but you could teach at a spin studio. And it's in real life. So a lot of them can teach online. And that's, I think, what a lot of these gyms realize is all of a sudden COVID happened. They had to let their instructors teach on Zoom or IG Live because they couldn't offer them the class schedule and stuff. So the digital world uh, tends to be a little bit less non-competitive. I do think, I don't know when, if it's this year or next year, we're going to, there's going to be a big reckoning and probably a big legal precedent around how non-competes really work in the fitness industry because they don't make a lot of sense. And I think that the gyms that try to hold on to them are, are going to lose their, their best talent because- if, if you let talent work wherever they want, the instructors work wherever they want, that's what they want to do. So it's about, again, I think go back to which I'll keep harping on is how do you empower instructors and the creators? And the more latitude and freedoms they have, the better they're going to be, but they're also going to go to where they have those freedoms, I think, in the end, of, in the long run. I can understand that. And a part of me wants to start clapping and say yes, because the individual should have the ability to work where they want and they should be able to make money in several different ways. I firmly believe in having multiple streams of revenue just in case. However, from a business owner's perspective, if I owned a studio and I'm spending my marketing dollars getting people in the door, it could be disheartening to have instructors work in other places and bring their audience there. So what's your perspective with your business? Because obviously these people are teaching elsewhere. They're monetizing themselves through your platform. Just help me understand that a little bit better. I guess to maybe elaborate a little bit more, I think where I would hope to see in real life gyms and studios go to is you have a lot of instructors who teach at five or six studios a week. So they're part-time people. So in that sense, like you can't have a non-compete because you aren't giving them a full-time job. You aren't giving them, like most instructors don't get benefits, you know, health benefits. So I think if gyms really want the non-compete, well then hire them as a full-time salaried employee, give them the benefits. And then the non-compete's not an option anymore because they feel secure in their job and they have the income they need. So I think that would might be the, the transition of the industry. As it relates to recess, we very much know that they might be teaching other places, but we don't worry too much about them teaching on other competitor platforms like marketplaces, because then you're fragmenting your client base. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. 
we don't have any rules about what they have to do, but we definitely say it probably makes sense if you just are in one place because then your clients know where to go. You have all of your client history on the platform so you can interact with your clients. Um, and it's just also just easier to manage. Now, if they're teaching on recess and an Equinox, that's different because one, they're setting their own schedule, they're running their own business. The other one that are showing up to their scheduled classes and they're following maybe a prescriptive program at that gym or that facility. And those I think can live in harmony together. Do you get any pushback on the marketplace model from creators? If I'm bringing, if I'm a creator and I'm teaching classes and then I bring somebody and they can take my classes, but they can also use their tokens or whatnot to take other people's classes. I'm, hey, I brought this person to you. Do you ever get any pushback or not really? Rarely. Like I think we sometimes get the anxiety, like the question of, I don't want to lose my clients. We're like, listen, your clients love you. That's why they're here. And this isn't about them replacing you. It's if they take three of your hit classes a week, maybe they want to take a yoga in addition. So it's not about replacing you. It's about actually, how do we get them just to do more fitness and more exercise? So I'd say most instructors see it as that they're like, I'll get clients who maybe want to try something different, try a new modality, and they don't worry about losing it. It's just about, I think, elevating everyone's access and that everyone is looking for different things. So the variety of the workout, but of course I think it's human nature. There's a little anxiety and a little worry about it, but we haven't seen any instructors lose clients through the platform. We've seen growth, not subtraction, which is great. So I think with any business, when you're conceptualizing the product or the service, you have one idea of what that's going to look like. And then you execute and you're like, oh, wait, <laughs> I need to make X, Y, and, G and Z changes to actually make this a viable product. So what, how has your business changed since you originally conceptualize it? What changes do you have to make? It's tough. I, so just launching in August, I, I think we're really good about every day, every week, looking at what's working or not working. So we'll experiment quickly and fail quickly at something and say, okay, let's move on. It, it all comes back to, I think, instructor tools. So early on, we, I think, had a vision just from our own experience about what are the tool or how instructors might use it. And there hasn't been anything that's a showstopper in what we've done, but we've seen features like, but they're just not using certain features. Uh, and then there's other things where I come, like, huh, we never really thought they would have wanted that, but then when we put it in place. So it's just, I think, constantly listening to the instructors, like, how are you using it? So we, I talk to them a lot, all the time, just trying to get their perspective and seeing how they're using the platform. The same thing with clients. And sometimes it's like something really obvious and sometimes it's not. So far, I think it's gone 80% as we've expected it with like little things here and there. It's the hybrid question, post-COVID of lots of ideas. How is that going to come to life? And I think that's what we spend a lot of time uh, stressing about and thinking about right now. What I think is so interesting is within the U.S., there's so many different approaches being like state by state and even city by city on how they're looking at capacity and restrictions. So I think that answer right now is really all over the place. And so it's hard to gauge as a business owner, how are we looking at this? Do we want to include any in real, any in real life experiences or not? I'm in Miami. My mom is in California and just how our states have approached COVID throughout the entire time is just night and day. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But what's your growth strategy? Where do you go from here? How are you planning on growing your business? It's definitely just still focusing on instructor acquisition. I think it's the referrals 
are great to a little bit slower. So how do we actually start to get the word out there more, maybe through paid advertising and other mechanisms to really grow the instructors and just keep pushing for that. And it's one of these things where I believe in the flywheel of you get more instructors who love it. They bring clients who love it. The word of mouth is going to spread and that flywheel starts to spin a little bit uh, quicker and quicker. I also think this isn't a sprint at all. COVID helped accelerate the digital you know, revolution a little bit that had already started with Peloton and others. So it accelerated it, but COVID's going to end. People are going to figure out their balance of in real life. And it's very much the long game. So I'm not, we're not too worried about trying to the users today. It's about how do we continue to meet them where they need to be met with the instructors. So referrals, paid acquisition, and probably other ideas as we kind of think them through partnerships. There's a lot of strategic partnerships in the work works that hopefully we'll announce over the next three to six months that I think also grow the instructor base. And then of course, beyond the U.S. at some point, the U.S. is just one market and there's a whole world out there of instructors. And I think that there is going to be a huge mix of how people return to fitness. Like for example, I recently signed up for a big box gym because I just want like equipment. I need to be around people, (laughs) but I still have that digital, I still have apps. So I might go to the gym and whereas I might work out just on my own or take a class, I might use my my apps for workouts just in a different setting just to get out of the house. So I really do do think that the tech is always going to be prevalent and it's always, and then I like having the flexibility of being able to use my app in my backyard or in inside my living room, or if I'm traveling or at the gym. Out of curiosity, were you surprised by any of the modalities that are popular on the app? Were you thinking, oh, for example, I'm expecting HIT and yoga to be very popular. And then there were different modalities that kind of took off. On ours specifically, no, I think what we saw, because we had the benefit of launching a little bit later in in the pandemic in August, like we definitely saw that everyone had yoga, like yoga was everywhere online. It had been a little bit before, but I feel like every site I go to just has a, a ton of yoga. So when we launched, we actually were very thoughtful and prescriptive around the first instructors we had on the platform and that we invited in. We said, what's the right mix? And because there was so much yoga out there, we said, let's, we'll bring some yoga in because people want it. But we really focused on the, you know, traditional hit boxing style stuff, strength training, Pilates and bar. So we wanted the most kind of, I think, diverse set of styles. And then as the platform's grown, I do believe, and I look at what's out there, like we do have the most diverse set of not just styles, but instructors from types of music to backgrounds and everything. And it ends up being a place where I do feel that everyone can find what they want. But also as an instructor looks at the platform, they feel they can teach there or use it because it's not geared towards one style. They see everyone, they see people like them teaching hit or teaching boxing or whatever. There's, oh, wow, this is for me. So every single instructor we talk to, they're like, they see that it's for them because they see someone else that's doing something like them or looks like them or whatever it is. And that's been awesome. So I guess I'm not answering your question, but we haven't seen one. It's been, it's been pretty well spread out of the styles, but that was intentional from day one. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Last question. I saw that you worked for a company called Super Evil. <laughs> what is that? The company I, I worked at when I first thought of Drift, it's a gaming company. So they made a multiplayer game that was wildly successful called Vainglory. Really, really successful. And it was multiplayer and it was cross device. So it worked on like your phone, your computer, and your iPad. So I was there for a short stint when they were going through a bunch of change as their COO. And it was great because I am personally not a big gamer. And I didn't really know much about gaming, but I learned so much that has been so influential on recess as I think about user acquisition and 
growth and retention and just all these things. Uh, and there's definitely elements of gaming we've brought into to recess, but yeah, it's a, it's a gaming company, but it's also like best name ever for a gaming company too. It really piques your interest. I'm like, okay, from my marketing hat, I had to say, I definitely have to ask a question about this. And it makes a lot of sense with that. You have the perfect background to create, to operate a recess because you have that gamification background, the tech background, and then the interest in fitness as well. And have, bringing those all together is really the perfect storm for weathering the future and continuing to penetrate more of the market. Thank you so much for taking the time to break down your business and your journey for us. It's been really interesting learning about Recess and how it all works. If somebody wants to connect with you or find out more, how can they do that? Well, obviously the site, recess.tv. And then anyone can always email me at Nathaniel at Recess. TV. And of course, all of our social uh, handles are out there. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks, Vanessa. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. I have a huge favor to ask of you. If you found value in this episode, I'd love it if you would please subscribe, review, and share this episode. It would really mean so much to me. I truly love connecting with fitness and wellness experts. So if you'd like to be on the show or are looking for help in your business, definitely drop me a line and connect with me. You can find me at hello at vanessaseveriano.com or my social media handles. Since my last name is not the easiest to spell, I'm going to go ahead and make it really easy for you and link my contact details in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Catch you on the next episode.